Welcome to the Fair Chase Podcast. It's like, yeah, it's going to be physically it's hard, suck, but it's also like the best. Later on, that's the story you tell. I got a new strategy. It's, you just go kind of lick your finger a little bit like this. Aim high, play the wind. And then you aim high, you play the wind. It's a new aiming technique that I'm working on. You brought this up. Yeah. It's because you had target panic so bad. Yeah, I didn't have it so bad. Before we jump into this episode, we have to thank a few companies that make this show possible. First up, Vortex Optics. We run their binoculars, spotting scopes, and uh, a lot of their clothes in their Vortex wear line. Quality hoodies. sweaters and hoodies, t-shirts, hats. Yep. You uh, can save yourself 20% on that stuff. Buy. Ooh, it's a new code. The code TFC20. Check them out. Next up, Trophy Line. Trophy Line. No secret, we are saddle guys. We like to hunt in saddles, make the jokes if you want, but yep. they're super light, super effective, and we're big fans of Trophy Line. This year we're going to be running the Mission Platform or the EDP Platform, the EDP. depending, and uh, running the Covert Light. Yeah, nice and light saddle. Lots of good adjustability on that. I feel comfortable walking with that thing out in the woods. Go yep. check this thing out. Use the code TFC10 to save yourself 10% on the next purchase. Next up, Prime. The bow that got me to switch back. I think I feel like I got you to switch back. You did, but but I like. But it was it's a big because part. of Prime shootability, shooting your bow, their accuracy. Uh, we're big fans of Prime. They're Michigan company. Jared's shooting the Nexus Four. I'm shooting the Nexus Two this year. Go check them out. G5Prime.com. We uh, we're big GPS map users on our phone. Um, I get tend to get lost a lot, and Jared you do tend to get lost. A lot. Jared can't always be next to me. When you don't have Jared with you, you can have a little Jared in your pocket. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> this is an awesome platform. We know the guys. They're local here in Grand Rapids. And you can actually download other apps, stand locations, plot locations, whatever pins that you have, you can download them onto the HuntWise platform. So you're not, you can, give you it just, a try. You can just hit the ground. And you're not losing your research. Yeah. So go check this app out, HuntWise.com. You know, I was actually asked this weekend if we weren't partnered with Vector and like I had to shoot a different arrow would I shoot vectors? Oh, yeah, for sure. And I said, yes, of course. Yeah. I love them. I shoot extremely accurate with them. I've never broken one. Yeah. And the sweet thing was is you pretty much just tell Isaac and the guys over there your draw length, draw weight, and I think your tip weight. Your tip weight, and they have a – And then you customize the whole thing. You and can they do it right tip, online. cut, and everything. You don't have to mess with the bow shop or anything like that. Check these guys out, vectorcustomshop.com. For 10% off your order at checkout, use TFC10. Good luck out there. Shoot straight. All right, welcome to another episode of the Fair Chase podcast. Uh, today we have Mark Kenyon back. Uh, he's been on a few times, um, and we caught him in between hunts, actually here in Michigan, it looks like, uh, to, to spend some time telling us a hunting story. So obviously I, I started and gave away your name, but Mark, you want to tell everybody what you do uh, and, and kind of who you are? Yeah, man, thanks. Thanks for having me on again. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, so my gig is... I guess multifaceted, but mostly I talk, write, and film stuff about whitetail deer. Uh, I run the Wired Hunt podcast. Uh, I'm one of our whitetail guys over at Meat Eater, writing for our Wired to Hunt page within the wire within the Meat Eater network. And I host our all of, our, all of our whitetail shows. So I've hosted a show called The Back Forty. We did one called One Week in November, and then my most recent show came out this uh, late summer, early fall, called Deer Country. And that's all over on the Meat Eater YouTube channel. And some of those are on Sportsman's channel too. Um, so that's my main gig. And then I also uh, am an author, wrote a book. I think we talked about that yep. last time, maybe. Um, that Wild Country. 
about public lands and outdoor adventure and whatnot. So that is, that's what I do. That's uh, what I've done. And uh, I don't know, love being outside, love hunting, fishing, doing all that kind of fun stuff. The, uh, the series you're, you ju- I think you just released your last episode. Um, yeah. And that was awesome. That was so fun to see the different types and styles of hunts. Uh, you know, I love the still hunting stuff, uh, the Northeast and um, yeah. some of the, the glassing in the West and even the, the Buffalo County stuff. That was so fun. So fun to follow. Thanks, man. Thank you. Yeah, it was a heck of a season. I mean, it was a very, very, very challenging year. A lot of stuff went wrong. Um, so it was, you know, it's kind of a bummer that uh, the show documented my lowest point as a hunter, maybe. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, a lot of great challenges, you know, went, as you said, to a lot of different places all across the country and spent a day learning from a regional expert and then spent the next three days trying to take what I learned and duplicate it myself in this brand new place, hunting in a brand new way. So I had to really stretch outside of my comfort zone, try a lot of new things. And, you know, I didn't have a ton of traditional quote unquote success, but I learned a lot Um, and I can feel it. Like this year, I've, even though the season's still young, I have a different confidence level. I have a different something um, because I kind of went through hell and got back to the other side, I feel like, and I learned so much along the way. Uh, So it was good. It was good for me. All the, the different styles of hunting, um, like, I mean, kind of like you're alluding to it, it creates like a, a better, a holistic approach to hunting. So you like, I mean, if you know all the ways to do it, uh, when you go out in the woods, you can kind of adjust and, and kind of stay mobile and, you know, flexible. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's given me, you know, for years and years, just doing the wired Hunt podcast, I'm sure you've experienced this too, you know, talking to so many people from different parts of the country with different styles you learn a lot, of course, through that. And I thought I had this, you know, wide breadth of knowledge because of that. And I've hunted a lot of different places too, in the previous years, but doing this where I went to, to really the real extremes, like I hunted extremely different places in extremely different ways. And I wasn't just hearing these people talk about it. I was spending, you know, 24 hours with them walking in their footsteps, seeing exactly what they do and exactly how they do it and asking them exactly why. I mean, that, the, the learning um, kind of quotient there was just ramped up to a whole nother level. Uh, and then getting to spend a few days in that place to really then take what you learned and try to put it into action. Uh, man, it was, it was the best possible learning opportunity to then give you this, this vast kind of, I feel like I've got this big freaking toolbox now that uh, I never had before that any, any situation I encounter now, I think I can just flip open that toolbox and be like, okay yeah, this is the right tool for this job, or this yeah. is the right tool. Um, and I'm already seeing ways that I'm mixing and matching these different ideas to help me now um, that maybe I, I wouldn't have done in the past. No, I, I love it. It's been fun to follow. And like, even, even watching, uh, you get to learn a lot. I mean, to see like a guy like Hal Blood on uh, the screen and just follow his thought processes is, is cool. And I'm sure yeah. you gleaned a lot just by be, being around him. Um, so Mark, you are a Michigan guy. Um, which means, uh, and, and so I, I'm guessing I know the answer to this question, but one of the questions we ask our guests as part of this uh, kind of hunting story series is your favorite hunt. Uh, so if you had to think of one hunt you'd be doing in a year where you look forward to it, um, it could be deer camp with your family, it could be a out west trip, it could be whatever, whatever you, you do, uh, like what's, what's your favorite hunt uh, that you look forward to every year? Yeah, I got to, if, if I only had, if I could only have one, I'd have to pick, you know, the family deer camp up in Northern Michigan, you know, whitetail is my favorite critter and my favorite place in the world to be when it comes to deer is that deer camp. Um, so 
but not because of the deer, which is interesting. I mean, we, we don't see very many deer up there. I haven't killed a deer at our deer camp in, I don't know, 10, 12, 12 years, 12, 13, I don't know, it's been a while. Um, there's, there's not a whole lot of opportunities up there, but it's, it's, it's the place, it's the yeah. place and the people being up there with my dad, now taking my son up there, my uncles, friends, um, you know, that's, that place is, is kind of what made me who I am. You know, I've been going up there since I was two or three and I learned to shoot. I learned to hunt. I learned to fish. I learned to do all of it there. Um, so that's the place. That's the place where, uh, I think some of my ashes will have to be scattered someday <laughs> yeah. and, uh, hopefully, hopefully get to spend some more good deer camps up there in the future. So that'd be, if I had to pick one, if I was allowed two, which I know wasn't allowed in the question, but I'll just tack it on there. I do love seeing deer. So yeah. I'd, I'd love to have a second whitetail hunt where I'm in some like awesome Midwestern spot where I'm going to see a lot of deer, see a lot of running action and, uh, just get to enjoy the show yeah. too. Spoken like a, a true whitetail man. Yes. <laughs> you know, uh, all right. So, so we'll, we'll jump into your hunting story and I'll, I'll kind of explain that, uh, in a minute, sure. but before we do, so we do questions of the month last month was, um, mostly useless piece of gear that you bring in your pack we've, we've kind of recycled that question a, a bit uh this month is uh, a debate that we hear a lot of because i i do quite a bit of hunting with just like solid clothes and uh shot a turkey with it this year got a lot of messages like oh we'd never shoot a turkey in my, where i'm from with solids or you're never going to shoot you know i actually a good one is uh last week i i, I had a <laughs> was coming back from kentucky had a buck coming in here in Michigan that I had on camera. And I mean, it was, I was hunting in a undefined location. Uh, and as they, all was, are. as they all are, and it was close to the road. Um, and I, I found a lot of success lately in places near the road that people overlook. Um, so anyways, I see this buck running across the road coming right at me. Um, and I'm like, Oh, wow. You know, this is exciting. I'm getting ready. And I got my bow. I, I got a wrist release. And I don't, I've never done this before, uh, but I bump the trigger, right? As I have it like this. So it does the thunk and it just, mm -hmm. the arrow just goes like a foot, right? And it just hits every branch on the way down from the tree, Ugh. right? So, but what had happened from, with that video, a lot of people are like, well, why didn't you knock your arrow and, and whatever, uh, which it was knocked for, for everybody. But the other question, for some reason, it went like viral uh, was everybody thought I had a blue shirt on. And so comments and comments coming in about it was gray, but it looked blue because whatever. Uh, right? <laughs> what an so, idiot wearing blue. Yeah, that's yeah. all so much. That I'm like, yeah, I know that. So, but the God thing love is, the internet trolls. Oh, and it was on TikTok, which we're kind of just dipping our toes into TikTok. Not haven't done a lot of it there. I don't do enough yeah. um, dancing videos to be very popular on it. But Did it was that. funny because everybody's like, well, you obviously you need to wear camel. And so that kind of got this debate started. Um, and so we've been asking our guests, like, are, you know, are you, uh, is camo necessary? Are you a camo guy or is, uh, are the solids, they just, the, the earth tones good enough? What's your take on, on this debate? So if there's anything I've learned as a deer hunter in the last like 15 years, since I've gotten like really, really dead serious about it, and since I've been able to talk to all these different people, there's one thing that is absolutely true. And that is that there are no absolutes when it comes to deer hunting there's no black or white there's no this way or no way there's a whole lot of deer hunters who like to say that there's a whole lot of folks i know who say oh this is the way you gotta do it and if you don't do that you're an idiot <laughs> there's a lot of folks like that and none of it's true 
So there's a million examples of this kind of thing, but I think camo versus salad is a great example. Do you need camo to kill a deer? No, obviously not. Tons of people kill deer wearing blue jeans or Carhartts or khakis or whatever solid stuff from whatever camo company or apparel company you like. No, you don't need it. Absolutely not. Can it help you? And can it help you in certain situations more than others? Yes. Um, so it's a choice, right? Just like, do you want to practice scent control or not? Can you always get it all the time right? No, not all the time. Are you going to get busted sometimes? Yep. But can trying to do some kind of scent control help you sometimes? Yeah. So I look at camo the same way I look at scent control. There are a ton of variables in the whitetail woods that I can't control. I can't control what the wind's going to do. I can't control what that deer's thinking that morning. I can't control what the does are going to do. I can't control the sun, the moon, the stars. I can't control any of it. But I can control a few things as a hunter. And those variables that I do have control over, in my opinion, I need to take as much care as I can to put those in my favor because 97% of it is out of my hands. Right. So I look at camo as one of those things that I can tweak that in my favor. So maybe, maybe in a given hunting season, maybe there's only going to be 10 encounters all season, maybe where a deer happens to look up in my direction and, you know, I would be spotted in that case. If I'm wearing solids, maybe that's a situation where I blob up and there's this big outline up there. If I was wearing camo, maybe that would break up my outline. I get away with it. And that happens 10 out of a hundred encounters. Maybe if I have something that's going to help me in those 10 out of 100 encounters, it's worth it for me. Right. Because those 10 encounters, one of them might be very important. That might be the one chance I get all season at a buck or that one time that buck's rolling through and it's the doe who happens to look up because I moved or something. And if I'm wearing a camel pattern that breaks up my pattern enough, maybe that doe looks up, says, huh, that was weird. And then gets over and continues, continues on. And then the buck rolls in, you know, a minute later, I don't know what it is. Um, but I, I don't think you need them. I don't think you need camo all the time. I think certain situations it's, you know, overkill. Uh, but there's enough times when I think it is super helpful that I'm going to wear, um, 99% of the time. I, li- I like that approach. I've heard you say this before. Where it's like, you have a, basically a percentage or you put it in percentages. So like, mm-hmm. you know, you have X percentage likelihood to be successful and any chance you can up that percentage point, one, two, three, four. Um, that's how you generally become more or less successful at deer hunting. Cause it's, yeah, it, it's like a, it's, uh, it's like tiny incremental, you know, I'm a big Michigan state fan and uh, our football coach, Mel Tucker is always talking about um, like incremental wins. Like you win a game, not with like one big thing you do, right. It's like this little inch win and this little inch win. it's this little thing. You keep stacking all these little tiny things you do. And if you stack enough tiny things the right way, and if you do it consistently enough, that's how you win consistently. And I think that's true in football. And I think that's true in deer hunting. Love it. Yeah. You know, I expected a thoughtful answer and you know, you lived up to the hype. So, uh, <laughs> thanks for that. Uh, all right. Do so, my best. so, you know, we're, we're in this, uh, story series, uh, and having guys come on that I'll say, you know, basically it's when you think of a great hunting story, uh, you know, what comes to mind that you've been a part of. So we've had guys come on and talk about a very successful hunt. You know, our our first one, which is actually releasing the day that we're recording. This is a doll sheep hunt. Somebody went out uh, a friend of ours and um, you know, this hunt of a lifetime. And it just turned out to be this incredible hunt, incredible adventure. Others talk about um, you know, not being successful and, and learning a whole lot. Others are, you know, describe what might sound like a more of a run of the mill, 
um, just hunt, but that meant something really big to them, something really important. Um, so Mark Kenyon, when you think of, um, a great hunting story that you've lived, what comes to mind? Uh, it's really tough because there's, there's a, there's so many great experiences and, and many different experiences for many different reasons. There's the, you know, as you just described, right. There's like the hunting story where you kill the big buck. There's the hunting story where you screw everything up and you learn something from it. There's the hunting stories with a loved one that meant a lot. Um, there's the funny stories. Um, man, I'm having a hard time picking. I've got one that's like funny and the big buck. Uh, golly, I don't know, man. Uh, I'm just going to pick one. Uh, all right. Here's a story that kind of combines a little bit of family, a little bit of fun and a big beer. Um, and, and hopefully there's new listeners. Cause the, the one thing is like, if anybody <laughs> listens to my stuff, they've heard these stories. Yeah. Um, so, so hopefully there's folks who this isn't old news for. Um, but do you want a long story or short story? Do you say 30 minutes about is what I'm allowed whatever, to whatever, you know, whatever feels right. Go with, go with your gut. All right. So this was, I don't know, five years ago or something like that. And I am hunting some stuff in Michigan that's in the neighborhood, in the general neck of the woods of where I live. So I can scout a lot from afar. I can get up on hills. I can leave home and be pretty quickly up on a hill and blasting down this area. And I can see deer. I can kind of pattern deer this way. You know, friends or family are in the area. They know these areas that I hunt and they'll like drive down the road and they'll see a deer and they'll be like, oh man, I saw that buck deer after like that kind of thing happened. So I had just taken this job with meat eater. Uh, I'd, I'd merged wired to hunt into meat eater. I don't know. This is back in like 2017 or 18. And, um, I was told that I needed to be in Montana to meet with Steve and all these people that work at meat eater on Halloween. I think it was, it was like the 30th and the 31st. You got to be there for this big planning meeting. And I'm thinking like, are you kidding me? Like, this is, this is like the beginning of the best part of the season. Like I've never missed a day hunting, you know, Halloween in like 15 years or something. Um, I got to be out there and I can't, I got to be there for this meeting. So I'm in Montana. And I get a text message on my phone from my wife and she had been, you know, doing what I just said, she'd been going through the area and she saw antlers back in this area that I could hunt. She stopped and she, you know, got a little film of it and sent it to me. And it is the biggest buck I've ever seen in Michigan in my <laughs> life walking right past like where one of my tree stands is. I mean, a monster buck. I mean, like shouldn't be in Michigan kind of buck. Right. And I just lost it. I mean, I lost, I'm sitting there in a meeting with Steve and I stopped, I, I, I stopped talking to him. I'm looking at my phone, like, holy shit, man, you got to look at this. <laughs> um, this is right where I hunt. And um, so this, this buck captured my imagination, captured uh, my, my obsession. I was able to get back there like three days, two or three days later. And we started calling this deer Frank. Um, you know, we, we tag names on these bucks cause I see them so often. I talk about these deer so often. Um, you know, it just becomes a, a lot more convenient to have a name for these deer. So I can talk about what I can say Oh, that one really big 10 pointer that had short D fours on the left side and like an 18 inch spread, yada, yada, yada. So we call this deer Frank because my wife saw this buck on Halloween, kind of like Frankenstein. He's a monster. Uh, okay. Um, I like so it. So that's where the name Frank came from. 
so I'm back like November 3rd or 4th, start hunting him. And you know, it's, it's some of the details here, a little bit fuzzy, but I remember the first time I ever saw him, I went, I moved in with a saddle kind of in this general, right in the edge of this bedding area that, um, that I was thinking he was, he was coming in and out of. And I set up and I see this doe come out that last like hour of daylight. She pops out of the bedding area, head into a little green food source. And like right behind her, I just see this wall of tines come out of the brush. And this is the first time I personally got to see this deer that year. I had, I eventually came to realize that I'd seen this deer once the previous season, once that summer previous. And then I had gotten pictures of him one day and found his shed the two years previous to that. So I ended up having a little bit of history with him, but these are like such like blips on the radar that I never like thought this was a deer I could hunt. Um, and now all of a sudden here he is. And it, it was just like jaw dropping. He looked like 175 inch, 180 inch type buck in Michigan. Um, and I, I never experienced anything like that. It just didn't even seem real. Um, and ends up that, that buck follows the doe out into this little food source and ends up breeding her right in front of me, like 90, 80, 80, something, I don't know, 80, 90 yards, something like that, right out there in the open, breeding this doe, just monster buck breeding this doe. I felt like I was living in like a dreary outdoors film or something. Right. <laughs> Truly was like one of these out of body experiences where I just wasn't, just couldn't process that this was actually happening. Um, but it was, and, uh, you know, we got to, jeez, oh, I'm trying to remember if this was the next day, but so I saw, I saw this happen. Maybe this is how it went. So I saw this happen and he'd gone to this little food source where I had a blind, um, and forgive me, I got to plug in my phone here. So give me five no seconds worries. to do a little editing, but my phone's going to die on me. <laughs> no worries. Um, all right amateur move but oh that's great so he was breeding this doe out in this little grain food source little food plot i had planted out there and i had a uh hay bale blind out in the edge of that plot on the other side so he was like breeding this doe like 10 yards in front of that blind right where you know right where if i had been there i would have got a shot of so the next day i'm thinking all right i'm going back into that spot <laughs> and what i'd seen happen was that i'd seen him breed the doe push her into this like tall grassy swale like i don't know maybe like a three acre just pothole with really tall grasses and yep. he pushed her in there and they just stayed in that and historically i'd seen this kind of thing happen and lots of times they will just stay in there like a buck will lock down the doe and he'll keep her holed up in this grassy grassy spot so my hope was i wouldn't be surprised if they are still in here tomorrow morning and they might transition back into the main bedding area later in the day. So I thought if I could somehow get back into this spot and be right along that creek edge where that blind was as a creek and then the blind and this food plot. And I thought if I could somehow get around them and get into there, I bet you I'd get another shot. Of so I snuck way out and around, took a long back way to get out of there that day. Next morning I came back in, took really like went all the way to the far south part of the property, circled way to the back and then came back in, and, you know, did a huge, J hook in to get yeah. to that spot, got in the blind and I'm sitting there in the blind and daylight breaks and <laughs> do many kids listen to this show? Um, no, I don't know. No, <laughs> well, I'll keep it. I'll keep it <laughs> relatively PG um, because I'm in this blind and all of a sudden I see the buck. I see the buck and he's maybe like 90 yards away coming back my way. And I say, Holy shit, this is actually going to work. He's going to roll back through here. And just as I see this buck and just as I realize he's actually going to come my way, I get that feeling in my stomach. Like, 
where your stomach starts cramping, uh, gurgling, oh, no. making all sorts of weird noises. And I realized, oh my God, I have to shit. <laughs> and, and so this buck slowly working his way towards me as I am realizing increasingly by the second, I have to go to the bathroom. This is going to happen soon. And then I'm like, I'm talking to myself, hold together, Mark, hold together. This buck becomes <laughs> the biggest buck of your life. You are not going to shit your pants right now. And the buck's getting closer. And I'm saying, Mark, you got to do this. And then I'm realizing increasingly, like it's been like a minute. I'm realizing, okay, this is happening. You're not stopping this. This is actually going to happen. The buck's at 70 yards now, closing distance, heading my way. And I realized, <laughs> I realized that I can't get out of my blind, obviously, and take a shit out there right. because <laughs> there's a, there's a booner heading towards me. <laughs> And so I realized the only option I have right now is to somehow, while the buck is approaching me, stay beneath window level in my hay bale blind, pull off all my clothes, dig a hole in the bottom of my blind, and drop a deuce no. as the buck approaches in range. <laughs> and, I, and in the most, I mean, if someone could have seen this, pure panic and disarray beneath the windows of the blind. But very cool, squatting. Cool, cool as a cucumber above the blind. <laughs> I managed to do all of that, drop a deuce in the hole, cover it back up with dirt, grab my bow, and get in position for what I'm hoping will be this buck coming through. And I managed to pull it off, but the buck doesn't come into range. The buck stays out of range, stays on the edge of this timber doesn't come i think i tried to grunt or something nothing works he continues on his way so that is that encounter next day i remember so, I went well, just back in. just to interrupt that's like blood sweat tears and poop for this buck yeah. like okay blood sweat tears and poop absolutely yeah. it was it was the most ridiculous thing i've ever done pure pure panic and uh insanity and uh almost worked yeah Next day I went in, I thought, okay, he transitioned back along the timber edge this time. I'm going to try hunting in the timber edge. Uh, was it that night? Uh, and you, that's where you started. Is that where you saw yeah. him the first? So you went back to your first yeah. spot again. Okay. Yeah. I, I didn't end up going to that to the exact same place. I moved farther down the edge. The, gotcha. the point being here is, is I, I bumped over to the tree line again, and then he came back through in the food plot again. And, and so that happened, I think I had three encounters there where I saw him and he was always the place I was before. Unreal. So then I decided like I stuck in one spot for another day or two and he didn't show up. So I'd seen him, I think like three or four times. And this was like that, you know, November 4th through the 10th ish yep. window. I had four encounters with him, if I remember correctly. And the closest I had him was like 65 yards, something like that. Giant deer, incredible sightings every time. Um, really really awesome another time yeah there was a fourth time when i kind of cut the, the cut the middle distance he kept transitioning back and forth sometimes with the doe sometimes on his own and i kept on making little adjustments and just couldn't quite get it right and it gets to be that you know november 10th to the 15th time period i'm realizing okay this is you know last chance i'm gonna get at him before the gun season and then he's you know gonna get Who killed by someone for goes. sure yeah so you know i was out there every day trying hard and just nothing nothing worked he disappeared so gun season arrives i think god's uh, game over um he probably got killed somewhere i don't get pictures of him i don't see him i continue hunting through november uh get to the end of november it's like the last day of gun season somewhere in that ballpark i finally get a picture he survived um so now it's december and in my neck of the woods we have muzzleloader season 
but because we're in an area that's adjacent to CWD, uh, that muzzleloader season had been um, shifted to an any firearm season. That's any legal oh, firearm. Right, season. right, right, right. Um, so it's muzzleloader season opened on, I don't know what day it opened, the December 9th or 10th or something like that. And when that season opened, I thought, okay, I got this picture of, of Frank, you know, post regular gun season. So he's still alive. I'm going to just start trying to keep glass in this area and keep checking cameras and keep glassing and try to figure out, try to figure out when he's back in the, in the area. Because it seemed like, you know, as I mentioned the first year, I just got one picture of him and I found a shed the second year. Um, I saw him in the summer down the road. I saw him one time and then no pictures. And now this year he like seemingly showed up, was there for like a week, 10 days during the rut disappeared. And then I got this November picture. And then I got this, this I think I got like a one November picture. And then like a week or 10 days later, I got another picture. This is early December. So the point of me read mentioning that is that I'm realizing that this buck obviously does not live on my farm, like this area that I have access right. to. Um, he's somewhere else, but he seems to be circling through every once in a while. So if I can keep tabs in the area and if I can somehow get eyes on him or get a recent picture of him that tells me he's here now, then I'm going like, to strike hard and fast and get right into this like best bedding area that he seemed to be visiting a lot and, uh, and take, hopefully, you know, somehow get lucky maybe with the muzzle or in this case, a gun. Um, so I don't remember what the date was, but on one of these days I went and was glassing from this hillside. I could glass down on this bottom. And I'm in there in the morning and lo and behold, I see like a big body deer approach this like two-year-old buck. And then the big body deer like steps onto the open so I can finally see him. And I realize, oh, holy crap, that's him. He's here. And he starts sparring with this other buck I called uh, Tran. Oh, yeah. And okay. So they're, <laughs> so they're, uh, they're like sparring. I'm realizing this buck's here, but I don't have anything to hunt. I'm just glassing. And uh, I don't know how I really would have made a move anyways if I had my gun. Um but eventually Frank picks up a doe and starts bumping her and is like right on her tail. And then like slowly walks her right past that hay bale blind, right past that little food plot, right back into that back uh, bedding area. And I see this all happen and I see exactly how they go in. I see exactly, you know, where I think they're going to bed for the day. And I realize like, this is my chance. This is it. Mm -hmm. You finally saw, you see him, you saw him, you saw what he did. It's December, you know, it's first week or two of December, seemingly like some second rut kind of stuff going on. Sure. It seemed yeah. like there's, this must've been like a fawn that's coming to heat a month later and he's locked on her right now. So my theory was like, he's going to be back this afternoon with that doe. He's not leaving that doe and that doe is going to come back out to this little food plot to feed a little bit. And he's going to be right behind her. I have to be in there. Problem was my wind direction was blowing right into that bedding area. So I'm just, I remember sitting there thinking like, there's no way you can hunt this deer without I'm catching your wind. But then on the other side, it says, there's no way you're going to kill this deer unless you try to hunt him today. Cause he's right. like the day he's there. He might not be here tomorrow or for the rest of the season. You got to do it. And I, I, I remember thinking to myself with a due West wind, you might be able to get away with the hay bale blind because the hay bale blinds right in that Creek. Yeah. And if the wind actually stays true to straight West, it might, suck right down that creek right thermals bring down mm -hmm. and yeah. you could get lucky if that if that wind stays right along the creek if the deer aren't crossing the creek and he he was on one side of it if he stays on the side they're on they might transition just parallel to your wind and you might be able to get away it'd be like a big you know hell mary right i'm either going to blow this deer out or it's going to stay in the creek he doesn't cross the creek and all these other does in the area don't cross the creek and he comes out to kill 
So I took that swing. I, I went in there, I hopped in the Creek. I walked the Creek bank, Creek bottom all the way till parallel to that hay bale blind, got up into the hay bale blind. And at this point now, because of that previous, that first encounter with it, we now call this the poop blind. <laughs> I get in, I get in the poop blind, which, you know, still has got all that nostalgia there. And uh, <laughs> I get set up in that blind. And as daylight fades, uh, Tran, that buck who two years later was my number one buck, uh, he comes out, feeds out in that plot. I pass him at like 60 yards and um, with a gun. And then right at last light, I see a doe pop out of the bedding area. And I'm just like crossing all my fingers and toes. Like, please let that be the one. Please let that be the one. Please let that be the one. I've got like three, four, five minutes. I don't, not very much time at all left. And then just there it is. That rack just comes popping out of the bedding area. And um, it was him. And he stepped out to the edge. He stood there like 80 yards and uh, was able to get the shot and uh, killed my biggest buck ever. Biggest buck in Michigan. And, uh, you know, was able to try to think so that would have been 2018. So my son, that would have been the first buck. If I, if my memory serves not right yet, that would be the first buck that my son ever got to see. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, so he would have been, he would have been, um, one or not even one. He was not even one, I think at that point. And, uh, so he, you know, I got to bring him buck home. My son got to see it. My wife was the first person to have seen the buck, you know, when she saw him and sent me the video, uh, so it was a whole like full circle family moment. Uh, had the crazy thing with the poop blind. Had all these close encounters and all the stress and excitement of me trying to figure out the pattern, figure out what he was doing, and then like you know the luck of being out there scouting the day he showed up and getting eyes on him, and then taking the swing with that uh, kind of aggressive move to get in there on him, and uh, have it all actually come together was you know uh, a lot of luck and a few good decisions. So uh, how, how old was, was he? One. How old was he? Uh, pretty sure he's five and a half okay because that you know the, the shed that i found from him and the one picture i have of him of that year um would be like what i'd call like a typical three-year-old for this area sure yeah interesting and he, what what he score 165 so he actually didn't score as big he looked bigger than that. i mean not i mean 165 is a giant yeah, don't right. get me wrong but i remember seeing him being like that might be a 180 right um and, and it's because actually, interestingly, he's got one side that is like a 175 to 180 type buck side. Yeah. And then his other side is like just like a couple inches shorter on everything. Oh, so interesting. Like deduct, deduct, you know, like seven inches or something off the other side. And that's what he matched up. So the side I saw was his like booner side. Yeah. And um, but I mean, he, he was a, just a really, really cool buck. Just uh, Scoring is great. I like scoring because it helps standardized right but I, I feel like um it kind of it's like deceptive a little bit because you're like oh i shot oh, a 130 yeah. inch buck I, I just shot one in kentucky and and a lot of the reason was one side it was a three point like three on a side there i mean there are huge tines on one side but it's that you lose a lot of points that way and it's like well i actually probably would have rather shot this interesting buck as opposed to yeah. maybe one that's more typical and more symmetrical and would probably would score higher so it's it's interesting yeah i think i think scoring you know i think i mean it it gives you it like you said it can be useful and it gives us like a common language a numerical language to like talk about stuff and be like oh it's this kind of deer yeah Um, which is great but i think people put way too much weight on it and and i kind of had that aha moment after that buck because i killed this buck you know giant deer and then we put the tape on it and i remember 
we read out 165 and I remember being disappointed. I'm, I remember like feeling uh, this thing like, yes. like I felt bad. And then I realized like, how stupid is that? Right. Like that didn't change the deer at all. Like, what a silly, stupid thing to care about. Like I, uh, this buck's incredible. Uh, he's everything you could ever dream of, of a deer. I'm not going to let some stupid scoring system that someone says important, make me feel any worse about it. Um, so pretty much ever since that day, I've kind of put the middle finger up to scoring and I'll do yeah. it every once. I'll still do it sometimes. It's interesting, but, uh, but I'm not too worried about impressing people with the score of a deer anymore. No, I, I love that. I feel the same way. Um, so, I mean, this story had everything you had, <laughs> you know, family and you had like a, you pooped in a blind while there was a, bo- <laughs> a booner in front of you, which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, your wife found it, which, you know, uh, is cool in itself. And you got to bring your son and, and everything else. So like, and what, what I really liked about it, it is it kind of, it's, it's what a lot of hunters go through every year. So you'll see this deer and I, I'm living this right now. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to hunt in this spot while well, he goes to another spot. And it's like, okay, I'll go there. And then there's that internal debate. Like, well, do I stay? Do I go? Do I hunt? Do I yeah. not? And that I feel like that's not talked about enough, but like half of deer hunting are those stupid internal debates where I'm like, I'm like laying in bed thinking about it the oh, night yeah. before, like, what do I do? And I'll a lot of times go to bed and be like, well, I think I'll just have to make the call in the morning. Cause I have no idea what, yeah. I, what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. That's, that's it right there. And it is like the best and the worst thing about deer hunting yeah, yes. it can be it's it's so much fun like i love that chess match i love the strategy like that's the thing that i love so much but then it's also incredibly stressful if you get too worked up about it yeah uh, so yeah that that was definitely one of those bucks that uh perplexed me for quite a while there yeah um, but it, it came together no that's great and so w- with all this in mind um and, and looking back on that hunt um, and I, you do this a lot and you do it really well on your podcast. Um, but what'd you learn? Like, what was like, if you had to pick one takeaway and I'm sure there was tons, but like, what, what would you say was a takeaway from that, that hunt? You know, I think one of the big takeaways of that hunt was just that it really solidified, um, something I've been, been getting more and more sure of as a hunter, which is like you have to sacrifice something. You have to take a swing um, when you're trying to, not always, but oftentimes when you're yep. trying to get one of these big mature bucks, it's, you can't play it super conservative in every way. Like we always want like the wind in our direction and we want, you know, this setup perfect. We want the access perfect. We want to make sure no deer know we're there, yada, yada, yada. And you don't want to spook the deer and you don't want to blow up the bedding area. Like there's all these things. And growing up studying this stuff, you know, I kind of studied under the gospel of certain hunters that were like yep. super conservative, super low pressure, super manager timing, man, you know, if, if you make one mistake, you're never going to see that buck again. Um, that's like what I was Same. raised under. Yep. Um, but the more and more I learn, at least in the places that I hunt and the kind of hunting that I mostly do, if you want to kill one of these older deer in a place like Michigan, uh, where they are just very, very heavily hunted, there's not very many of these mature bucks that make it. Um, and if they do make it, they made it for a reason. They made it because they are more cautious. They are more conservative. They are tighter to cover. They're less active than all the other bucks, right? If you ever want to get a shot at those kind of bucks, and if you want to do it on a somewhat consistent basis, I think you have to, in many cases, be willing to make some of those aggressive moves to actually pull it off. Um, so these days I'm more and more likely to take like a, you know, swing for the fences kind of home run shot now because I know like 
you got to take those shots to ever connect. If you never, if you never shoot for a home run, you're just going to hit a bunch of singles. Right. And, you know, uh, singles are great. I love putting does in the freezer. Um, but, you know, every once in a while, I'd love to uh, hit one over the fences. And yeah. you got you to gotta take that kind of shot to get that kind of buck. So that hunt, I think, was one where maybe five years previous, I would have been too worried about that wind. And I would have said, man, it's, it's not going to work. There's no way I can pull it off. Um, but I knew, like, hey, if I don't swing for it, I'll never get this chance again. So I have to risk it. And, and a similar thing happened opening day this year. Um, where I had a setup where I really wanted to hunt this spot because I had some trail camera data and some previous history that told me like there's this zone that I really thought there were some bucks still moving through for opening day. And um, my number one buck was in this swamp. I, I, I was pretty sure he was betting in the swamp. And I get there to hunt that day and the wind was just a little bit too north for that spot to work as well as it could. So I'm sitting there thinking, well, my number one spot isn't going to work. Um, there's another spot I could go like 70, 80 yards, not that far down, but another spot I could go down where instead of hunting this little bean field, I'd be hunting this tiny food plot I have just north of it, um, adjacent to a different bedding area. And I knew there were two other bucks that I was interested in, in getting a shot at in this area that seemed to be bedding to the north more often. So my number one buck was bedding to the south more often. These other two bucks seemed to sometimes be to the north. And I knew with this wind direction, man, it's not going to work to the south at all. But... I could do one of two things in this case. Like I know my number one location is not going to work. So I could either be super conservative and drop back to the front of the farm and like, you know, just watch from afar and, or just have like a nice night in the woods, but I'm not, I'm, I knew I wasn't going to kill a buck up there or, and in my mind, I'm thinking, man, or you can do something to still take advantage of opening night. And I view opening night anywhere as like one of those really special opportunities where there's just, just year in and year out, if you hunt a place where these bucks have not been super pressured yet, you have a special opportunity that first day or two. And I knew that, and I really wanted to take advantage of that special opportunity. So my other option was I could go to this other spot and hunt that north bedding area where I knew there's two other great bucks. But to do that, I'd have to give up the swamp. I mean, I'd have to blow the hell out of that swamp right. and basically give up my, my number one buck. Um, I knew like there's going to be deer down there. All of them might be down there. I don't know but I am going to sacrifice this whole betting area to take a home run for the North betting area. And I never would have done that 10 years ago. Interesting. Um, but in this case, I said, you know what? I believe that I can take this home run shot. And I think I've got a darn good shot with this home run and either it works out or I completely devastate one of the other main betting areas. Uh, but I believe that if I give it some time, give it two, three weeks, like, I believe I can, this, this air will recover and I'll be able to make something happen later down the road. So I took my shot, swung for the fences and killed an awesome buck on opening night. <laughs> there you go. Right. And like you said, you would not have done that a handful of years ago. No. Interesting. And, and that swamp that I devastated and my number one buck that was down there, he's still around. He's still shown up in daylight a few times too. So yeah. I think, um, you know, it, it, everything's situation dependent, everything's location dependent, but like where these deer are, this is like a little piece of property. It's not like I've got a thousand acres that's completely controlled. There's like 47 acres of huntable land surrounded by other properties, that other people hunt. And you know, this stuff, you're still able to recover from it. You know, 10 years ago, I thought like if a buck smells me one time, he's going to yeah. move 20 miles away. And that's not happening. These deer live where they live for a reason. 
as long as they're not being consistently bumped out of a place, consistently bothered, consistently smelling people, you know, they want to live in their bedroom. They want to hang out in these spots where they've been historically safe. So if you take a couple home run swings, it's not the end of the world. Wonderful. No, that's great. That's great advice. And I, I love it. Um, and to see that it already worked for you this year is, is pretty cool. And it worked on the buck on uh, Frank. So, mm-hmm. hey, um, we're up on time. Uh, so, Mark, thank you uh, once again for, for giving up time, especially during the season to, to just uh, put up with some of my questions. Um, yeah, you're welcome. I'm, sh- I'm sure that people listening know how to find you. But just in case someone like is living under a rock, has never heard of any of this, how, how can they find you? How can they see your, <coughs> excuse me, your latest uh, deer hunting YouTube series. How can they find all this stuff? Yeah, so uh, you can search for Wired to Hunt on all the social platforms. I'm most active on Instagram, uh, so that'd be the best place to like connect with me personally. That's where I share my personal updates and stuff like that and everything going on. And then, you know, Wired to Hunt is the name of the podcast. You can find that anywhere podcasts are, uh, are published. You can find the TV shows that I host. Best place to find those is on the Meat Eater YouTube channel. Uh, like I mentioned, Deer Country is that new one that's out now. So check that out. Um, and then if you go to themeateater.com slash wired, that's where you will find all of our written content that I produce, that my colleague Tony Peterson writes. And we've got a whole slate of other freelance writers that contribute there too. So it's uh, a ton of great deer hunting, uh, know-how, tactics, strategies, and stuff there. So Man, between the podcast, the videos, the written stuff, uh, we'll keep you busy. Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. And uh, yeah, like I said, thank you again. And everybody go check it out. Appreciate it again, Mark. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode. We really do appreciate it. If you want to go on to any kind of social media platform, give us a like, share, subscribe. You know, it really helps us out. Keeps the train rolling. And if you guys really like what you're listening here, give us a five-star Either way, if, even if you don't like it. Even if you don't like review. it, five stars. That'd Helps everyone cool. out. We'll see you out there.